Seems like forever since we've been in Colossians, but we're back. Colossians 3. And just like the rest of this book, it is all about Jesus. Hopefully, people say that about us. We're all about Jesus. Well, Father, I just thank you for this time. I just pray that you'd be speaking, that you'd be changing us, that you'd let your presence be known, that even when we're going through very familiar texts, Lord, you would be specific in our lives, that you would be doing a good, thorough work as only you can, as only we want you to do. Lord, it's necessary and it's helpful and it's for your glory. So uh, thank you for not leaving us the way you found us. And uh, have your way with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll see. Again, this will probably be more of an exhortation. I'm planning on very familiar scriptures. And uh, hopefully, even though it's something that we know and have heard maybe hundreds of times, it will... Uh, just be life encouragement to us, because I know I need to be, have things repeated to me, especially back in Sunday school ministry, kids need to have things repeated often, and, uh, and we're, we're kids, we're just bigger. So <laughs> God has no problem repeating himself. Neither did my mom. Mark, 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 Mark. Yeah, God's good. So we left off, we finished chapter two, so we'll see, this might be a, well, we'll see what happens. Colossians 3, verse 1. And again, uh, going through this, we remember, as Paul often does, as he wrote in the epistles, fancy word for letters, uh, chapters 1 and 2 were doctrine, and the doctrine that he specifically was speaking of was the supremacy of Christ, basically what Jesus did for us. And in chapters 3 and 4, which we're starting now, it's more of an application to that truth submission to Christ and what Jesus wants to do through us. And he already had gone through doctrinally teaching that religion doesn't cut it. It's not about us doing something. Not that, not that we're not to do something. Of course, we all do something. You can't sit in a room even with all the lights off and not think. We're always doing something. We were created to worship, and worship's going to happen. The question isn't, are we worshiping? It's who and what are we worshiping? And... Uh, just as the Lord told me years ago, and it, it was really deep, although very simple, but it's, it was necessary for him to tell me, you can't have a relationship with Jesus without Jesus. And then you can think about that. It sounds like, yeah, duh, of course, but that's basically what religion is attempting to do. It's about trying to have a personal relationship with somebody without his power doing it through me, without me acknowledging him, but what I'm doing on the earth serving many people even when we were i was away with uh the franklin graham event there was a flood down in binghamton and we went down there and we took turns uh teaching in the morning before we went out and serving there were people that had come there just because they were all about humanitarian issues they just wanted to help people and we unfortunately that ministry is uh is very good they have chaplains come 
and everything is going to be about Christ, and they encourage you to preach while you're out there. So they find work for you, they send you out, and you go and you do things. Uh, they have a tractor trailer there full of supplies, so they equip you with everything. They even give you a cool shirt <laughs> and a hat, and then you go and you serve. You just got to get there. They put you up, and if you aren't comfortable or were unwilling or unable to preach, there's a chaplain that comes behind you when you leave to talk to the people that you were ministering to, and they made it all about Jesus. And I had that impression on my heart the one day I got asked to do a little devotional in the morning talking about it's not just about helping people, because if you help them, you're just making them comfortable on the way to hell. It's all about bringing Jesus to them, and people argued with me. It was surprising. People, you know, you know, you need, it's all about people. It's all about serving. It's about and uh, it's really not, actually. It's really all about having a relationship with Jesus and encouraging other people to have a relationship with a God that's alive that put us here and uh, making them comfortable while we're here. I mean, it's kind of weird to think about, but life isn't all about this life. Isn't it funny? Sometimes we spend our whole life trying to take care of our bodies, but God's like, no, it's just disposable. That's just a tent, Paul called it. It's something I'm dwelling in now that's temporary, and he's the one that made it temporary. It was his choice, his design. He has something better for us. And as we're going to read, Paul's going to encourage us to think on those things. That's what's important. That's real life. Religion doesn't cut it. You can't just do stuff and think you're making God happy. Um, and it, we're going to get into this works versus the flesh. So the whole works part of that religion aspect of it is all about what they did. And the Judaizers coming in and bad doctrine coming in and creeping into the church and he said it would only he knew it would come and it'd be prevalent before he even died in his lifetime but he said near the end which was thousands of years later which we're living in right now he said it'll even be worse so it's it's out there if you're not seeing it then fortunately god's sheltering you or you're just not paying attention but there's things out there that are doctrinally bad and we are encouraged to live by faith. The just shall live by faith. So who's just? I was blessed to be able to teach the teens the other night um, by circumstances that happened, and I asked them, who in here is holy? And they're all like, nobody's holy. I don't see any rings around anyone's head. I don't know if they're sitting there. But technically, that's like calling yourself just before God. Who? It's almost blasphemous, some people might think, to say that I'm holy or that I am I am just, but God is the one that pronounced it. Holy means you're separated. You're just set apart for him. Thanksgiving may or may not be a Christian holiday, but it's a day set apart for a specific thing. You are set apart for a specific thing. You are holy. It doesn't mean you're not claiming to be perfect. Saying you're just is claiming to be perfect. And the just shall live by faith. So it's not that because I live by faith, I am made just. It's the fact that God has declared me just that gives me the ability to live by faith. We're living in by the faith in what God declares to be true about us. So just, justification, what does justified mean? Justification is just as if I'd never sinned. That's a simple way of remembering it, and I'm a simple guy, so I like simple things. So it's, God sees you just as if you'd never sinned. Every single thing that you did if you're a believer, and if you're born again, and if the Spirit of God dwells inside of you, if you've been set apart for his purpose, then God's Son came down and paid the penalty for the things that you did that would declare you unjust. And now you are made righteous 
in God's eyes because of the sacrifice that he paid. And if that's true about you, and that happens in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, as you just sit there and you believe at one moment the Spirit of God did not dwell in you and you were not his child, and I know some people find that offensive too. Oh, we're all just children of God. No, the Bible says they were all made in his image, but only those who are born of his Spirit to them, he gave the right, it says in John 1, 12, to, to have the privilege to be called sons of God. You're, you, when you become a child of God is when you're born of God, right? I am not your child, anybody in here. I am my dad's son because I was born of him. And you become God's son when you become born of him. You become, so we are all created in his image, but you only, according to John, according to the Bible, that you become his child once his spirit comes inside of you, and then you are born of his spirit. And then there's the sanctification process, which is kind of what we're going to be talking about today. So justification happens in a moment, and we are being sanctified. We're being made holy. We're being made set apart. This is something that we only can do once you've been justified, and religion makes it the opposite way, that you have to be in the process of sanctifying yourself to be made right enough so that God then can have a relationship with you. And that's basically getting in God's face and calling him a liar because it's, it's saying everything that he said is untrue. So now that I had you turn to chapter 3, I'm just going to read chapter 1, the doctrine that we're to believe and to... Uh, the just shall live by faith in, and I'm just chapter one, verse nine. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled. Colossians one, verse nine. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy, so there's this understanding it, and then there's this walking in it, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, and he's praying that this would happen, so there's a potential that we won't be walking worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified, justified, it's already been done, he has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. 13, he has delivered us, past tense, from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. 18, and he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. 19, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness shall dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you, 
and Mark, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If or since indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. The doctrine. Now he gets to the application. Do we believe that? Is that true? Is that true about you? Has God made you holy, separate, above reproach? And did he give you the ability to walk worthy of your calling? And again, if or since, chapter 3, verse 1. Since that's true, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. We just sang about that. That, that should just be like a read and walk away. Think about that. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. What does it mean to seek things that are above? What does seek mean? To go look for, to search out. Isn't it funny? God says, if you search for me with all your heart, you'll be found by me. He says, you can't find me. <laughs> you can't figure this out. But if you come looking for me, then I'll let you find me or I'll find you. And I'll explain things to you. So if he was like into hide and seek, we'd be done. We'd never find him. <laughs> he's really good at everything. He'd probably tap you on the shoulder and he's not even there. Because he can be everywhere at once and in a different dimension. Where my mind goes. <laughs> seek those things which are above. And isn't it funny? Because our world, our time, are your thoughts consumed with things around here? Not that he doesn't want us to care about things that are happening here. But sometimes there's a lack of peace. Sometimes we try to spend our effort and time and energy into things that we can't control or don't need to control, and we're just preoccupied and we're twisted. And God is like, you know what, just look up. Before you can properly look around and see what's going on, you need to have a glance of what's going on up. Once you see up, then everything down here will make sense. You can't, you can't love people until God gives it to you. You have to look up to have a love for people, and, and what the world needs is love. It needs the love of God. It doesn't need what it calls love. It doesn't just need pure acceptance. Pure acceptance of evil is evil. It's, it's harmful. It's hateful. We need, we need to look up. Seek those things. Which things? Those things. The things that are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And the right hand of God, right? We're well taught. We know that. Right hand means power, the, an authority, and a strength. Christ is at the right hand of God. He has an authority and is a strength. If you are sitting there and you feel powerless, look up, seek the things that are above, and see the ultimate power right there. Probably all heard that asked before, this stupid question. If God is so strong, can he make a rock that even he can't pick up, or something like that? Because it says he's God all-powerful. And they'll say, well, if he's all-powerful... Can he make something like that? He doesn't say that he has the most powerful. It says he has all power. Any power that comes, comes from him. So that's, it's, it's like when people say, you know, is there anything too hard for God? It, you can't even put hard in a sentence with him. It doesn't even make sense. That implies something is hard for him. 
He created everything and he holds it all together by talking. How hard is it to talk? Any power that is out there is on loan from him. He told us that in government. He told us that in us. He told us any strength that we have is from the spirit. It's him. He's all powerful. All power comes from him. He is at the right hand of God. Our, our Jesus, the one who laid down his life and came down so that he can live inside of you. And that's going to be the picture that we're going to see over and over, and we're going to find out that it's through the entire Bible. It's the whole story. He wants to come and dwell inside of you. Hard to believe. The, the true replacement theology, the bad replacement theology is the church replacing Jews or Israel. The good replacement theology is Jesus Christ replacing you. He wants to... You can get an upgrade. Not only can you, you need one, according to him. We, we need the update. Set your mind, verse 2, on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died. And we're going to kind of look at that. It's past tense. You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So, past tense justification, your life is hidden. And we know that ultimately, Jesus is life. All life comes from him. And what is death? Another thing we talked about. So it's kind of crazy to think about what death is because we think of like a finality. But it, biblically, death is a separation. I mean, so when we think of a human side, before I was saved, death is when your soul and your body Heart. But God doesn't have a problem with that. He made our bodies disposable. Biblical death is when you're separated from God. Jesus was separated from God somehow for all eternity on the cross. And then he said, it's finished. That payment was paid for while he was on the cross. So we don't ever have to be separated from God. And this is Pastor Chuck used to say, so people think of it as, you know, a dying day. It's just a moving day. It's when you get an upgrade. It's when you get the ultimate upgrade. That's when you get to go up and see him face to face and spend time with your eternal dad and not have to live by faith anymore, but you'll be living by sight and have your mind blown even more. But you died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Hallelujah. Think about that. Think about what he knows about your life. Think about what he knows about your thought life. Think about what he knows about every, all of your past. Think about even worse, he knows what would have happened if he didn't stop you from doing all those stupid things you tried to do and he didn't let you get away with. And your life is hid. It's all under the blood. Then it says in verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So he tells us in verse 3, For you died. It's a past tense. Now it says in verse 5, Therefore put to death. Almost sounds like he's contradicting himself. This is our application, our part of this. God reckons us as if we're dead, but we then have a part in this. We can allow God to do something in us or not. The sanctification is a process, and uh, it's a commitment. And as we've said before, and I've heard it mentioned before, that sometimes in our past, if you're a Christian any length of time and you get tired of your own sin, which hopefully we do, like, God, you hate sin. You know, I hate, I hate my sin. I know you do. Just take away my ability to sin. And he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. You're asking me to take away your ability to love me. 
He said, just choose me. Just choose me. Put to death. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. So this is God saying, I've done everything that you need to have a relationship with me. I've taken care of your eternal destiny. I've paid the penalty that is required of by sin. Now I'm asking you, just, just walk with me. Get to know me. Spend time with me. Learn of me. And love me. You'll, and he says that for whom much is given, for whom much has been forgiven, he loves much. You love God when you realize how bad you are. It's kind of like an oxymoron, just like we're going through the Beatitudes, you know. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why, why would I be happy if I'm poor in spirit? It doesn't make sense. Because if you realize who you are, then you allow God to do more. And then, um, just like I was telling them the other day, the, the, the teens I had when my youngest son was small, he was sitting on my lap and um, he was jittery. I'm trying to think of a polite way of... He was, he, was, he was just bouncy, and uh, he wouldn't sit still. And I wanted him close to me, but he just wanted to move around. And he sat there one time, and I went to turn, and he moved his hand up, and he poked me right in the eye. And it hurt a lot. And I grabbed my face, and he felt horrible. And I, and I didn't want him to feel bad. He didn't hurt me on purpose, but he wasn't listening, and it did cause me pain. So now I have a choice. I can either get upset but I want, now I have to comfort him, tell him that I love him, and tell him it's okay. And, and now all of a sudden he calmed down, and now he feels bad, and he's hugging me. And it's like he hurt me, and I had to come to him and make him feel better. And that's what God does with us. We hurt him, and he has to come to us and tell us it's okay because he wants to spend time with us. And the more that you realize what you're capable of, the more you're going to realize how good he is and how gracious he is and how forgiving that he is. And it's just being real. So it's not that some people who sin more then are, are, get more love. It's that they're just, it's, we all sin a lot. The question is, is, are you aware of how much you sin? And repentance is a blessing. So when you can realize and allow the Holy Spirit to come in and show you how much you've done, it'll give you an, an attitude and an understanding of his love, and you'll grow in that. Therefore, put to death your members, which are on the earth. He already told us to meditate and think on the things in heaven, but the things on the earth that are natural, so this is the thing that religion tries to use in order to make themselves better to become right with God. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Paul is telling them, you weren't, you weren't all that good. I don't remember what you remember about the good old days, but the good old days weren't all that good. We're not missing anything. They can, you can have them. Our, our memory sometimes isn't all that good when it comes to it. Um, but again, Paul references this again too. Covetousness is idolatry. And to us, idolatry is like a word. But back then it was, when we think of idolatry back then, we think of statues, we think of false gods, we think of people spending time, money, and effort into pagan or whatever kind of Colossians, right? Greek, Latin, all of these gods, Roman gods that were there that they knew of, that they spent time in and were like, how can people like bow down to a statue and do all of that? But actually, worship is anything that you spend your time and your money and your effort on. 
and what you think about and, and what, what do people spend their time that aren't saved on. Alcohol, that's Bacchus. The god of Bacchus is the god of alcohol. You, they didn't actually have a statue that they would bow today, but they're doing the exact same thing. Aren't they bowing to the altar of uh, sex when all of a sudden you have an unwanted pregnancy and now you just try to get rid of it and that's just the cost of it because, you know, that's how I worship my God. And, it, and they don't, might not think of it as worshiping, but what is covetousness? It's, it's desiring something that I don't have that God didn't give to me that I want anyways. So fine, God didn't give it to me. I'll go to another God and get it. God says that's idolatry. Anytime you're seeking something that God hasn't given you and you go get it on your own, you're basically telling God he wasn't good enough to you. I'm going to go to somewhere else. I'm going to go to another store. I'm going to go to another church. I'm going to go to another God. And we all were there. That's all we knew. That's all you can know. Until God comes into your life, you can't know any better. But we do know better. So now we just need the Holy Spirit to tell us, Mark, stop that. <laughs> that's, that's idolatry. Uh, verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off all these. So on top of the, of, of the first things that he mentioned, Paul goes on, anger. Already, I don't like this list. It makes me mad to think, no, <laughs> I'm to put that off. <laughs> Do we get angry? And some people will say, well, you know, you know, the Bible says be angry, but don't sin. Well, right here it just says don't be angry. So you can argue with Paul, he wrote them both, right? <laughs> and think about that. When you're angry, something happened that you thought shouldn't have happened. Again, you're not in control. You want to be in control, and it's like idolatry. You're going after something that God didn't give you. There's a certain situation in your life that you don't like. Anytime you complain, God says that he hates complaining, right? But when we complain, what happens? Something happened in my life I don't like. So you did that to me, and now I'm mad at you. Well, God allowed it. So basically, if I'm complaining about you, I'm basically telling God he wasn't good enough to me. God sees it as an insult. He's like, well, I only did that because you have an issue in your heart and the fact that I allowed that in your life because I'm trying to point it out to you, and you're getting mad at me because I'm exposing your sin. Well, yeah, it doesn't make me feel good. <laughs> I don't take it to the cross. We've got to work through these things. He tells us, put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie one to another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So you can't claim it's a culture thing. You can't blame it. Sometimes I get mad, and I remember my dad saying, well, I'm German. Germans get mad. Well, no, not in Christ. They don't. <laughs> You've been given a new nature. Who do we resemble, and who do we take after? And lying is huge. I, I, with my kids, sometimes I would get mad, and I would correct them and say, if you do it again, I'm going to do this. And right after I said it, I'm thinking, that was too harsh. I shouldn't have said it. But I said it. And now I apologize to them that I said it. But I don't want you to think I'm a liar. I want to tell you things about God that are important. If you witness to people, you are claiming to be talking about God and that it's truth. And you shouldn't give them any reason to doubt you. If people are found out that you are a liar or prone to lying, then why would they believe you about anything? And if they don't believe you about everything, then why would they believe you about God? God doesn't lie. Lying is... 
not good. It's the one thing my dad used to tell me all the time before he was saved when I was a kid. He's like, you're going to get in trouble if you did something wrong, but if I find out you're lying to me, you're going to get into a lot of trouble. We were, it hurt when I lied. <laughs> and thank you, Dad, for instilling that in us. But Christ is all and in all. Christ is all. That's another, if you ever have to remember a verse and you can't remember much, just Christ is all. He's everything. There isn't anything else. He's all that you need. Sometimes we say, oh, it's all, Jesus is all that I have, but he's all that you need. He has everything, and he knows what's good for you. And when you go after things that he didn't give you, it's idolatry. You're, just think about that next time. Like, Lord, I just want this. And, if you, and it's not that it's wrong to ask and keep asking and to, to find out whether it's his will or not. But we just need to be careful what would be godliness and contentment is great gain. So there's this whole picture of putting off the old man. And in verse 10, it says, put on the new man. And this picture is throughout the whole Bible. It's actually that simple. And the question isn't, what does it mean? The question is, is how does it happen? And you just got to ask God. It's supernatural. You can't take away a nature. I can't tell you how to remove a nature from you. It's something God does. But the Bible does tell us that whatever you feed is going to grow. If you feed the old man, he's going to get strong. If you starve the spirit, or if you feed the spirit, he'll get strong and starve the old man. Right? There's this whole picture of this death to self and this resurrection to this new life. And again, very common, well-known verses. But if you flip to Romans 7, and it's common... And we read it a lot for a reason, because it's where the battle lies. It's where the rubber meets the road. It's something that we need to know, and hopefully it's not just so common to us that the Spirit isn't talking to our hearts. Chapter 7, verse 1. Let's read the first six verses. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. That is not to imply to get thoughts. <laughs> yes, you can be released from your wife, from your husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. God will call her an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who has raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So there's this reason, there's, there's this marriage that takes place, and it's to bear fruit. It's not just a good truth for us. There's a purpose in it. Verse 5, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. And again, that fruit from sin, the wages of sin is death. Death, biblically, is separation from God. Your sin separates you from God. It doesn't separate God from you. He's always there. He's always aware. 
We can turn our back on him. If you're his child, he'll never turn his back on you. But you can uh, cause problems to the relationship by how you act towards him. Verse 6, but now we have been, past tense, delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So something has happened. He has died. We are in him for a purpose that we should. It's something that's, there's this encouragement to do something else. So the fact that we're justified is set, but this sanctification that he does, we're invited into. There has to be a participation. Um, we know the end of the chapter, right? 24, a wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Uh, chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, what religion cannot do, what only a relationship with God can do, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the, my flesh, our ability, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. That reminds us of Colossians, right? Set your mind on things above. And again, it comes back to just like we were going through Philippians, just like we're reading in Colossians. What do you think about? Do you let your mind wander? Think on things above. Think on things that are pure. Think on things that are holy natural mind will go bad immediately, instantly. It needs to be in check. And, and you can sit there and, what am I thinking about? Or why am I in such a bad mood? Well, I've been killing people in my head all day as I'm walking around. All I'm doing is complaining inside me. It doesn't even have to come out. You can just be in a sour attitude. I love feeling sorry for myself. Why? It makes me miserable, but why do I like it? It's just natural. Don't do it. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. So next time you let your mind wander, think about this verse. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity or at war with God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. If you don't have the spirit of God dwelling inside of you, you are not a child of God. You are not his. doesn't mean he didn't create you. doesn't mean he doesn't have the right to you. He's going to judge you. No one else made you. By right of creation, he is Lord. And every knee will bow and call him Lord. But just not everyone's going to enter in. If God dwells in you, you are his. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit, he is not his. Ten. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. 
But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, think about that. The spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. Never happened before. Not into a new existence, not into a new body, not eternally, not the way that it happened before. Not after being dead three days in the grave. He rose immediately. That spirit dwells in you. What can't he do? Again, we had a Sunday school ministry meeting this morning encouraging people that God gives gifts. And we read in Corinthians, if, if he's given you a gift, then use it. Right? He's given everybody to each one, it says, he gives as he seems fit. Some of you, he's given the gift of ministry. Paul says, then minister. If you're not allowing the spirit of God to use the gift in you, then what are you doing? What, do, what are we serving and who are we serving? Let him do what he wants to do, and that's where there's life. The Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. That life of Christ coming out in you, him doing something through your body. Verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, here's the key verse, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You will, you'll, you'll be a child in his own likeness. You'll be doing what he did. I resemble a lot of things naturally that my dad did because I lived in a house with him. I grew up around him. My kids, they're sorry, but... But they act a lot like me sometimes. They like doing stupid stuff that I like because they're around me. And when you spend time with God and his spirit dwells in you, you become like him. He's the one that changes you and sanctifies you. Spend time with him. Think on him and you'll become like him. Don't think on what naturally comes to you. Verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. There's something to think about in the heavenlies. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So living, allowing to him, putting the flesh to death. Is, he, the Bible even says it's suffering. It's not easy. You have to give up stuff. You have to fight your own flesh. I remember, I think it was Malcolm Wilde, one of the pastor's conferences, he said he gets up every morning, and the first thing he does, he walks into the bathroom, he looks in the mirror, and he looks at himself, and he tells him no multiple times. Just keeps telling himself no, no, because our flesh needs to be told no. <laughs> Deny yourself. And it's a good reminder, because if we don't think to do that, then we just won't tell ourselves no, we'll give in. says in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of creation, the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We have a beautiful future and a hope. 
22, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. The earth is groaning. Our society is groaning. Unsaved people are groaning. Are we going to give them the cure or are we just going to complain about them complaining? Complaining about somebody complaining is complaining. I do it all the time. Sorry, Lord. 23, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves. Do you think that happened with David? Why are you down, my soul? He talked to himself. He'd, he'd talked to God his way right out of it. Eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So we are going to get out of this body. In the meantime, God allows these things to happen in us and to us and around us. And the Spirit of God is trying to use that to conform us and to change us and to make us like Jesus. And we are either going to willingly go along with the process and thank him for it and be changed or we'll be in the flesh. More common, well, taught, often taught verses, Galatians 5. Death to self, alive in the spirit. And I'm only, this is what God talks about. Galatians 5, verse 16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we have this, be filled with the spirit, to walk in the spirit, to die to self and to live to Christ all of these terms that we talk about, hear about, read about, they actually have a practical application in our lives. 17, for the flesh, lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, these are contrary one to another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry. This all sounds familiar. The same guy wrote them both, right? The same God talks about the works of the flesh, and then you get down to 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And it's not, the, the flesh has works, and the, the Spirit has fruit. Works are something that you do. Fruit just comes from something. Branches don't groan, they don't push. They just stay connected to the roots, and it comes. Walking in the flesh can be hard. It's hard to make your will happen. It's hard to get upset with people when you're a Christian because you're not supposed to talk to them like that when you're not getting what you want because that's what you decided. It's hard to be God when you're not God. It's very easy to let God be God. Things just happen. Just let him be God. 24, Galatians 5, 24, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So there's this picture of walking in the Spirit. There's this picture of being born of the Spirit, and they each have things that come out of our lives, and it's something that God clearly talks about. Colossians, he's telling us to put on and put off. Right? He gives us this picture of baptism. 
So what is baptism? Baptism is a picture of dying and being raised. Same thing. Putting on, putting off. You put off the flesh, you put on Christ. Baptism is you dying and then you being raised. Right? A death and a resurrection. The whole Bible is about death and resurrection. Different ways of looking at the same event. A lot of people will debate. So it's a picture of justification, right? Baptism. So it's something that happens to you immediately. People, and you go all the way through the book of Acts. When people get saved, Philip didn't even know this guy. There's an Ethiopian eunuch riding through. He's, he, he heard and believed the gospel, so he had a conversation with him, and he believed that he believed the gospel. So you've been justified if you've been believed. He's like, he didn't even stick around to find out how he was walking. God took him and put him, moved him into another city. But have an expression, show what's happening. You know, I've talked to you, I've met with you, you, you heard what you needed to hear. God did something to get baptized. The, was the baptism necessary? No. It was what happened internally was, was the thing that was important. First Corinthians 15, another very popular common verse. First Corinthians 15, it says in verse 20, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And he is able and in the process of putting all the enemies under his feet. That's not hard for him. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. My God is going to kill death. <laughs> should have that on a t-shirt. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who puts all things under him is expected is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all and in all. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And just Mark's opinion on this, you can look it up yourself. Some people believe that it was a pagan practice that they would baptized to the dead, and some people, the Mormons, will say that the early church did it. Paul talked about it, and they will then say that you can get baptized by them for a dead relative so that, therefore, that person can go to heaven. I, that was confusing to me. I think it's actually really simple. Paul is talking about, and we're about to read it, about dying to self and being made alive. If they were baptizing people the way that we understand it and know it, and in that once you die, there's no resurrection. Paul here is talking about the resurrection. People thought that they missed the rapture, that once they died, they're done, and the people then aren't going to be able to go to heaven because they expected to be alive when Jesus came back. And Paul is like, there's a resurrection after death. That's the whole point. They didn't miss it. If you think that when you die, it's all done, then why are, you getting why are you getting baptized? It doesn't make any sense. 
because you, you don't believe that there's a resurrection, but when you go under the water, you come back out. Why? Because you're saying it's a picture of being resurrected from the dead. So if Jesus didn't get resurrected, then why are you getting baptized in the name of a dead guy? That, I think that's what he's saying. He's, saying he's, he's, he's not saying that they were actually practicing that people in the past had died. I think what he was saying is that if Jesus went into the ground and came out of the ground, and baptism shows that, and you think you're only going around in the ground and stay there, then what's the point of coming out of the water? Let's read it again. 29, otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. He said, this is a spiritual truth. It's something that needs to happen. Every day I have to die. My, again, if I let my mind go, it's going to go in a bad way. I have to constantly be conscious that my flesh needs to be put to death. 32, if in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? So we know they're talking about that they didn't believe in a resurrection of the dead, which is why I believe this about what is on baptism. Let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. So this baptism is a picture of death and resurrection, going down in the water and coming out. Uh, Jesus told us to take up our cross daily. If you want to serve me, take up your cross daily. Paul says, I die daily. God gives us a picture in the Old Testament of a Passover. The Passover lamb was the death of an innocent so that the guilty could live. The picture of baptism is death and then resurrection. The cross is a picture of Jesus dying so that I can live. The whole Bible is all about this death and resurrection. And it's not just a teaching. It can be, it should be a reality in our lives. Something dying so something else can live. In another spot in Corinthians, he spoke that people were taking it in an unworthy manner, speaking of communion, which we're about to, to take. I don't know if you guys want to come up and get ready to sing. Um, so what does it mean to take it in an unworthy manner? Well, if, if this represents something, I don't think it's like a, it becomes poison if, if you're not careful on how you do it. But basically, if you're taking communion, what are you doing? You're admitting that you understand that this represents the death of Jesus so that his life can live in me. And if I understand that Jesus died because he wants to live in me, and I don't let him live in me, and I'm not saved, and I'm doing it anyways, I'm basically acknowledging that, yes, I understand that you died, but I'm not going to let you live. And, and there was an issue, God had an issue with that through the Apostle Paul. But as a if you want to come up and get the elements as we sing, and we'll take it together. So if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And we just think of the things in the heavenlies that took place, and we know that the things that happened on the earth here in the Old Testament were pictures of what was happening ahead. And it tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 
Paul writing, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and he had given thanks. He broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he took a piece of bread, the Passover meal, that all had a picture. It was to point out something. And the Passover lamb had to die. But then the lamb would go, they, would, they had to eat it. They ate it all of it. If you go back and read the Old Testament, they had to consume the whole thing. That, that lamb's now in you. It's a life, it's a picture. It go, all through the, the, the Bible, God wants us to know that he has a plan, and it's Christ in us, which is our hope of glory. And as we partake of this, we just want to remember, have our mindset on things above. This isn't an act that we do to be right with God. We just remember what he did. Jesus is the one that instructed, take it, eat it, remember what I did for you, and let that be the thing that changes you. So we just want to take this body and we do it in remembrance of what Jesus had done for us on the cross. In the same manner, he also took the cup, which if we remember was the cup of blessing, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're to die to self, but we're not dead physically. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to take it, right? He's not saying to be suicidal. He's saying, I want there to be a replacement of your life with his. I want you to live for something. We have a purpose now. We've been set apart. We've been sanctified. And it's Christ's life in us, and we know that it's a truth. And again, we want to apply it, right? Think of his life coming in. Think of his hands, your hands being guided by him. What would his hands do? What did he do? What did he touch? What did he, what did he say? What, did it, what came out of his mouth? What did he think? What was in his head? We want his life in us. This is supposed to be a picture of Jesus' life in us, not just a ritual. So think on that. Think of what Jesus did in order to make this happen and agree with him. Let it happen. We, we, we don't have to talk him into it. We just have to let him do what he wants to do. So we, we think of the life is in the blood. And we think of Jesus' life being poured into us because of what he did and made available to us. So let's, let's partake. Think of him. And Father, we thank you that... Not only is there a way, but you made the way. You invited us in the way, and you're holding that way. And uh, it's a good way, Lord. You made a way for us to know you, for us to learn of you, for us to spend time with you. Uh, you have initiated it, and we want to think more on those things, Lord. We can get distracted. We can just get lazy. We can feed our flesh and feel sorry for ourselves and get bitter and... Uh, Lord, we get tired, and we know you have a better plan, so we just pray that you would 
because of what you did, because you want to live in us, because you've made a way, because you called us righteous, because of the act of your son. Um, help us to think on those things and let it affect us properly, Lord. Help us to worship you well. Teach us to love you. Teach us to pray. Teach us to love one another. Come quickly, Lord. We are groaning in the spirit as we tarry, as things seem to get darker and darker. And uh, Help us to be that light on a hill that would please you. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord Jesus, it is truly all about you. It's always been about you, Lord, and it will forever be about you. And Lord, we thank you that we have just been able to enter in tonight, Lord, just with that, that heavenly host, Lord, that is already before us, Lord, at your throne, singing and worshiping you, giving glory to you, Lord, and those four living creatures, Lord, how amazing, Lord, as they just are in complete sync with you, God. And how we thank you, Lord, that we will get to join physically that happy chorus very soon, very soon, Lord. How we love you, Lord. How we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great night.